With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you hear the word pirate, what do you think of? Do you picture a flag bearing a skull and crossbones, waving in the wind above some ominous ship sailing off into the sunset? Maybe you see a grizzled man with a beard and an eye patch. Maybe he's got a peg leg, a flintlock pistol in one hand, a curved cutlass in the other. And I hope that one comes with a technicolor parrot squawking on his shoulder. (laughs) I think of Blackbeard or Calico Jack. Or Barbosa and Jack Sparrow. You probably aren't picturing a shrewd former peasant girl from Guangdong province named Ching Shi. But you should be, because Ching Shi was the most successful pirate in the history of the world that you've never heard of. It's 1810 in the South China Sea. It's a violent yet golden age for Asiatic piracy. One of the fiercest pirates in the history of the world looks out over a massive fleet grown over the course of her career. At its height, this includes more than 1,800 ships, 70,000 pirates, both men and women. For context, the infamous Blackbeard commanded just 300 ships at the height of his piracy career. It's an enormous fleet, loyal to the Guangdong Pirate Confederation, a united front of pirates in China founded by their fearless leader. A united front that took on the Chinese Empire and the Portuguese Empire and the British Empire, and for years beat them into submission, striking fear into the hearts of provincial sailors across the globe. And every single one of them loyal to their leader, Ching Shi. But that era is coming to an end. The first shot, a cannonball blast, but it's just a warning, an announcement of the arrival of Miguel José de Arriaga, the magistrate of Portuguese-occupied Macau. Arriaga is here to mediate a conversation between Ching Shi and Bai Ling, the viceroy of Liangguang, the government official charged with the Qing dynasty with defeating the pirate confederation. For years, the confederation has bested Bai Ling, surprising Chinese forces with its resources, its tactics, and its unwillingness to break ranks. All this time, their loyalty and fervor have been bolstered by their brave leader, who was about to surrender because she's left with no other choice. And yet, she remains strong, having already survived heartache, tragedy, poverty, abuse, and loss. She has conquered everything that's come her way, even the sea. A woman born into poverty and the peasant class, Ching Shi has already done more in her world than society deems possible. And yet, no matter the hardship, She's recreated herself every time, like a phoenix rising from the ashes. And right now, in this moment, it looks as though she will need to conquer one more time. But how? How does a woman manage to rattle the stone structure of misogynistic gender norms in 19th century Confucian China and rise to become one of the most powerful leaders of the Asian world? We'll get to all of that. But for now, all you need to know is that Ching Shi 
is one mean pirate queen. History happened. The good, bad, the ugly. This is the underside of history. The lesser-known pieces lost in the bigger picture of time. From the creators of Myths and Legends and from Cast Media, this is Scoundrel, history's forgotten villains. We're Jason and Carissa Weiser. Join us every episode as we explore the dark, quirky, and bizarre history that you might not have heard before, but really should. Now, one of the most interesting things about this woman is the mystery that surrounds her life. We don't know everything about her, but that seems to be part of the point. She was a woman who never agreed with the controlling narrative around her. So, she wrote her own. Somewhere around 1775, in the Guangdong province of China, a girl is born, named Shi Yang. She isn't Qing Shi quite yet. In fact, she'll go by several different names before then. Although we'll refer to her as Qing Shi throughout, so it's clear who we're talking about. We don't know for sure, but Qing Shi is likely a Tang Ka, or boat person a small ethnic group in Guangdong. The Tongha people lived primarily on the water in small junk ships. It's a type of Chinese vessel, not a judgment on the quality of their boats by any means. The Tongha people are fishermen who don't originally come from the traditional Han Chinese culture. And despite the fact that they assimilate almost entirely into that culture, they remain outcasts in society. And things are about to get more difficult for everyone. At this time in China, Emperor Qianlong has united the country under the powerful Qing dynasty. It's a time of prosperity and growth for China, which would be good, except it goes unchecked. There's an explosion in population. Rural farmers find themselves without enough land to meet the demand for food. So people go hungry. They go without work. This desperation forces alternative ventures to earn a living, not all of them legal. Local warlords rise up in cities and villages. And pirates rise up out of the high seas, thanks in large part to the patronage of Vietnam. In 1792, the Nguyen Pirate Brothers lead the Taesan Rebellion in Vietnam, but lose their navy in the process. So they hire Chinese privateers to bolster their military presence at sea. Of course, many of these privateers don't stop at their orders. Suddenly, life on the outskirts of society isn't just complicated for young Ching Shi and her family. It's dangerous. We don't know exactly how it happens or when it happens, but at some point in Ching Shi's teenage years, life becomes too untenable for her and her family on land, and she finds herself sent to work on the sea on what's called a flower ship. Gambling, drugs, drinking, sex. It's a lot like Las Vegas, but on a boat. If it's something you don't want to be seen doing, you can do it on a flower ship. That was the thought. And to many, rocking the boat added a a new dimension to whatever activity you sought out on the water. Now, however you feel about this topic, there's a definite line between an adult's chosen line of work and the trafficking of children. And underaged Ching Shi found herself on this flower ship by force. Still, she's not one to easily be defeated, even at a young age. On one hand, the opportunity to earn her own wages on her own charm. It's a new type of opportunity, despite the circumstances. And yet, the idea of being beholden to an employer, of lacking autonomy to make her own decisions, it puts her in a cage. One night, teenage Ching Shi lays in her chambers, trying to fall asleep. But she can't. Instead, she's there staring at the ceiling, reflecting on the confines of her new life. 
She stares, but does not despair, because that's not the strength that her family taught her. Instead, she traces the boards on the ceiling, willing herself with every pass to remain steadfast and turn this unbearable reality into a positive. Strangers, use her they may, but maybe, just maybe, she can play that game as well. Hey everyone, Jason and Carissa here. If you're enjoying Scoundrel, History's Forgotten Villains, we would really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review. Also, we'd love your feedback. Go to castmedia.com slash scoundrelfeedback and answer our survey. Thanks. Today's sponsor is a podcast. Yep, The Jordan Harbinger Show. And it's a good one, so check it out. The whole idea of the show is to help make you a more critical thinker so you can come to your own conclusions. Each episode is a conversation with a different guest you don't want to miss. And there's really something for everyone here. A lot of variety, yeah. You know, maybe he's talking with a hostage negotiator in one episode, and then in another, it's a cinematographer who discovered a lost city in the jungle and made one of the most important archaeological finds of the century. I also recommend listeners check out Jordan's conversations with Chris Bailey on hyper-focused secrets for better productivity. A lot of really interesting things in that one. You also have the conversation with Howie Mandel on mental health, talent, and perseverance. Both of those are really great places to start. It's always captivating how Jordan so seamlessly keeps the conversation moving while pulling useful and practical insights from all of his guests. It seems like there's always some bit of wisdom you can use at every turn. Obviously, we really enjoy this show, and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, I admit it. I don't always make the best food choices. When you're an adult, you don't have someone telling you to eat your vegetables and fruit all the time, so sometimes we don't. Fast forward to today, there is zero chance I'm getting the doctor recommended six cups of fruit and six cups of veggies every day which is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is powered with a full spectrum of essential vegetables and fruits, plus science-backed herbs and prebiotics. This is what we need to stay healthy. And Field of Greens works fast. So if you're like me, you'll have more energy, feel healthier, your skin will look healthier. It can also help you lose weight. Simple, back-to-the-basics nutrition is the answer. Field of Greens is simple nutrition with results so powerful, I'm actually looking forward to my doc seeing my new blood work. My doc's going to wonder what I've been doing and say, you know what, keep doing what you're doing. Join me and take Field of Greens, too. And to help you get started, I got you 15% off your first order. And another 10% off when you subscribe. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code SCOUNDREL. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code SCOUNDREL. Ching Shi establishes herself as one of the most beautiful and charming women among the fleet of pleasure ships in Guangdong. Consistently, she draws prestigious, high-value clientele, courtiers of the royal palace, military officers, wealthy merchants, all who arrive just to see her. By the time she's 19 years old, she's one of the most well-known and well-connected flower girls in all of Guangdong to men with massive prestige. She's turned her cage into a gilded one, but it remains a cage nonetheless. Her reputation catches the attention of one man in particular, Cheng Yi one of the most fearsome privateers turned pirates in the Eastern Hemisphere. 
Cheng Yi is one of the privateers contracted by the Nguyen brothers during the Taishan Rebellion. But he has much grander ambitions than simply being a hired hand. Descended from a long line of pirates traceable all the way back to the Ming Dynasty, Cheng Yi dreams of joining all pirates in the South China Sea under one flag. He wants to create a unified fleet. If all the warring confederations of pirates work together under one code rather than waste time fighting for turf, they can generate incredible profits. But it's only a dream, for now. Despite his reputation and success, to make it happen, he'll need a partner. And here, on this floating flower ship, he finds her. Now, there are two versions of the story. One tells us that in 1801, Cheng Yi runs into a 26-year-old Qing Shi in a Cantonese port and falls madly in love with her, courting her for months, offering her anything she could ever want in exchange for her hand in marriage. He's sweet, following her across the sea like a lost puppy, only to be rebuffed time and again until eventually Qing Shi gives in to the feelings she's had for Cheng Yi all along. But there's another story. This one tells us that in 1801, Cheng Yi meets Qing Shi on a flower ship and turns mad with an obsession for her. He tries to win her heart, but she wants nothing to do with him. He stalks her, harasses her, even has his men try to abduct her and forcibly marry her, until finally, the constant barrage is too much and Qing Shi gives in. The truth is likely somewhere in between. Qing Shi is no novice to the power and danger of having a man's attention at this time in history, especially the attention of a big-time pirate like Cheng Yi. Maybe she is attracted to this guy's alpha rogue energy, but maybe she fears the lengths to which he'll go if she refuses him. Or maybe she sees an opportunity. That'd be consistent with how she handles other difficult situations in her life. Whichever it is, Qing Shi agrees to marry Cheng Yi, And so there's a celebration, a celebration of holy matrimony and Qing Shi moving up in the world. Because she's about to ask for something in exchange for her willingness to marry. She'll pick up a new name, sure, but she wants something else, something that showcases her financial and political genius. It's a pivotal moment, one filled with risk, but Qing Shi is determined. Even though she's about to make an unthinkable request, It's an unheard of ask for a woman in that society, but Cheng Yi is no ordinary person. She asks for half of the profits from Cheng Yi's fleet of pirate ships and full partnership in commanding it. That's right, a full 50-50 ownership of this guy's ships and crew. It's unheard of, yes, but the craziest part, he says yes. It's Qing Shi's watershed moment. Regardless of everything that's happened before, her destiny is now clear. She'll no longer be just a girl living on the outskirts of society, nor will she be the pretty flower girl waiting for clients. Before becoming Qing Shi, she picks up the name Cheng Yi Sao, the wife of one of the most fearsome pirates in the world. But it's more than that. Qing Shi is now his partner. 1802 the Taishan dynasty has fallen in Vietnam. Mercenary pirates under their employ are released from their contracts and scattered across the South China Sea. Chaos reigns as pirates vie for power and jockey for significance. But somewhere in those choppy waters, 
our pirate power couple is realizing their dreams. Because Ching Shi refuses to play the role of worried wife, waiting on land, praying for her husband's safe return. She's a pirate too, and she's gonna act like it. And while she does, she proves to be a savvy negotiator and tactician too, all while earning the trust, admiration, and the love of the crewmen. Where others see problems and pitfalls, she sees puzzles and opportunities. It's a running theme in her life, finding possibilities where no one else can. And together, the pirate couple does something no one else has been able to do. In 1805, they achieve Chung Yi's lifelong dream and unify 40,000 independent pirates roaming the South China Sea. They all join to create the Guangdong Pirate Confederation, the largest collection of pirates sailing under one command in the history of the world. It's compromise, teamwork. Each pirate leader trades a little of their autonomy for the overall benefit of the Confederation. A Confederation with six fleets, each denoted by the color of their flags. There's black, blue, white, yellow, purple, and the personal fleet of Chang Yi and Ching Shi, the Red Flag Fleet. Within several months of their wedding, the Red Flag Fleet grows into the largest within the Confederation. The Confederation is thriving under the co-leadership of Cheng Yi and Ching Shi, namely because they're terrorizing everyone in the South China Sea and its coastal towns. But also, while the pirates operate outside the law, as a group, they maintain internal structure. There's actually a lot of reform going on within the ranks, all under the guidance and foresight of Ching Shi. They've adopted a code of conduct, a code of laws, and there's a strict requirement that everyone in the Confederation must follow the rules, like these. If you're found giving unauthorized orders, you'll lose your head on the spot. The same goes for unauthorized raids. Every raid has to be approved by Cheng Yi and Ching Shi. No exceptions. It'll be your head. Any and all loot acquired must be presented for inspection and divvied up. Although finders keep the lion's share. If you hide or under-report, you'll lose a body part or two. Fitting the crime, of course, which could include your head. And another, no stealing from villages of known supporters, allies, or family members of anyone in the fleet. Disobey? Well, surprise, surprise, it's your head. To the pirates, the rules sound pretty good. It's revolutionary. The notion that they can be fearsome, effective, and profitable while still adhering to a code of conduct and morality? Incredible. So where does an idea like this come from? Could it be Ching Shi's way of reconciling her own past? A way to ensure that others are treated more fairly than she was? Could be. Could also be simple strategy. If you know the Chinese Empire's forces will likely go after the most violent and ruthless pirates, it would be helpful to be a little different. Either way, it works. Not only does this new code make the Confederation more organized and successful, it breeds loyalty to its leaders, and special loyalty to Ching Shi. This isn't just a gang of pirates anymore, not just an organized crime syndicate. It's a navy, capable of holding its own against any country in the world. One evening, Ching Shi stands on deck overlooking the sea. The night is calm, the setting sun casting a panoramic view of mixing hues. It's beautiful. And yet, nature doesn't hold a candle to the rainbow of colorful flags rocking on the water as far as the eye can see. The banners of her confederation. They're glorious. And they're real. 
It's nothing short of amazing. One day, trapped on a flower ship. The next, partner over one of the largest fleets in the world. Destiny, one she'll never question again. As the Confederation grows and flourishes, so does Ching Shi's family, albeit not in the way she ever thought it would. For the first two years of their marriage, the couple is unable to conceive a child. With time, concern grows about securing an heir. So, when they capture the son of a coastal fisherman named Cheng Bao, they lean into their chance opportunity. Cheng Yi introduces Cheng Bao to a life of piracy, which he takes to quite naturally. But there's more to their relationship. It becomes physical, which isn't remarkable to the others, because this sort of thing is fairly common among pirates and seafarers of all kinds and ages at the time. What is a bit strange is that Ching Shi is also part of the physical relationship, creating a more menage a trois type situation. Pair that with the couple's legal adoption of Chang Bo to establish his inheritance rights, and we do find ourselves in a bit more of an uncomfortable gray area. On one hand, it's open and progressive. On the other, you have a married couple in bed with their adopted son. This one certainly isn't part of the Red Flag Fleet's strict code of conduct. And if you're squirming in your seat now, just wait. Things are going to get weirder later on. For now, Chang Bo establishes himself as a fierce pirate, a respected member of the crew, and the clear favorite to succeed Ching Shi and Chang Yi as leader of the Confederation, even when mom and dad already have two sons of their own, born in 1803 and 1807. Within another year, the Confederation is so successful that the government in Guangdong can no longer cope with the organized pirates ever looming on its shores and terrorizing trade. During one altercation, the mainland's leading military commander, General Huang, known as the Old Tiger, is killed. And while the government believes it's the work of Cheng Yi, the pirates within the Confederation know who the real mastermind is. It's Ching Shi and her brilliant strategy that has elevated the pirates to a global force. The death of the old tiger causes an uproar across parts of mainland China, and patience for these pirates begins to run out. And Ching Shi couldn't care less. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com/audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com/audio. That's carshield.com/audio. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As the organizer slash co-founder of the Confederation's operation, the piracy game is paying off big time. She's enjoying what seems to be a never-ending windfall of plunder. There's nothing that can stand in their way. 1807. A massive storm at sea. 
and the Red Flag Fleet's flagship is caught in the middle. Cheng Yi, in an attempt to guide the ship through the squall, is thrown overboard. The crew scrambles. It's all hands on deck. 32-year-old Ching Shi rushes to their aid, barking orders, desperate to save Cheng Yi. But success is not theirs this day, and Cheng Yi is lost at sea. The Confederation is devastated by the loss. Cheng Yi wasn't just their captain. He was family, a father figure to many of them. He and Ching Shi were the first ones to treat many of these men and women with respect and dignity, to treat them like equals. His loss creates a deep hole among the Six Flags. It's painful, most of all to Ching Shi. She's lost her husband, her partner, technically her name, which at the time was still Cheng Yi Sao, wife of Cheng Yi. But once again, she refuses to break. It's time for another transformation. And this is when she becomes Ching Shi, Cheng's widow. After everything she's accomplished, after everything she did for her husband, for the Red Flag Fleet, for the Confederation, she is still defined by the man she was with. And yet, it's a pivotal moment. People expect Ching Shi to go into retirement, to live her widow years on land, while taking her cut of the profits from the Confederation in peace. But those people obviously don't know her very well. Ching Shi is not about to resign herself to anything. The way she sees it, the best retirement is no retirement. But as beloved as she is by her crew, the pirates of the Confederation struggle to see her as sole leader of their fleets. She's never commanded a ship on her own. It was her partnership with Cheng Yi the world knew, respected and feared. The question is, without him, is she really capable? There's also Cheng Bao to consider. He's the heir apparent to the pirate empire, but transition has a feeling of uncertainty. The crew is confused unsure of their futures, and Ching Shi knows that unless she can soon create a sense of stability, everything she and her husband built will be lost. So, with the support of her late husband's two most trusted advisors, Ching Shi and Cheng Bao reach an agreement. They will lead the Guangdong Pirate Confederation together. Cheng Bao has no interest in commanding the Confederation without Ching Shi's help anyway, and they solidify the partnership with a symbolic wedding ceremony at sea. Yeah, yeah, we know what you're thinking. Nothing quells restless pirates faster than a wedding between a mother and son. Whether this marriage is an official, legally binding one or not is irrelevant at this point. They've been in a physical relationship for years with Cheng Yi, so they find no reason to end things now. And besides, the marriage is less of a romantic declaration than it is a statement to their crew and to the world. This union, this confederation, does not die with Cheng Yi. It lives on, poised to grow bigger and stronger than ever before. She quickly consolidates her and Cheng Bao's power to prevent any fracturing within the confederation. She also reinforces the code of conduct set years before, adding several new laws for the crew. One of these new laws is particularly interesting. It protects all female captives taken by the fleets by forbidding any physical violence or violation. Women captured must be treated with respect and dignity. However, Ching Shi's men do have the option of taking a captive as a concubine or wife, on the condition that they remain monogamous and faithful to her for the rest of their lives. It must also be consensual. Any instances of assault will be punishable by death. And there's more. 
Something else that's new, something beyond strict rules of conduct. Every stick must come with a carrot, and Ching Shi knows that plundering at sea may not always be enough to keep her crew fed, happy, and paid. So, she will need to expand the business. It's a normal day, as a couple salt ships from China's empire carry a full load across the water. The salt trade has been one of China's most lucrative industries for some time now, and the money isn't drying up anytime soon. And that's exactly why Ching Shi has her eye on this industry. It is a brilliant scheme. Ching Shi and her crew commandeer Chinese salt ships, but instead of simply stealing their cargo, she presses the sailors to continue hauling their cargo under her terms. Which includes taking a massive cut of the profits each time a ship makes its journey. It's extortion, something we often see in mafia movies. Effectively, Ching Shi gives these ships an offer they cannot refuse. They can work for her and keep their livelihoods, or refuse and lose their lives. Like Pablo Escobar, offering those around him the choice of plata o plomo, silver or a lead bullet. The choice is yours. And so, Ching Shi uses her power and influence to break into the legitimate salt trade. By 1809, Ching Shi, now 34, expands her control from the salt trade to nearly every business in the South China Sea and its coastal villages and cities. If you operate a business there, you pay the Pirate Queen and the Confederation something for their trouble. And with the Chinese Navy already battered and outnumbered, it's simply easier for the average person to pay and get on with their lives. But it isn't pretty. Ching Shi uses the money to purchase more weapons and ammunition for her fleet to pay local villagers to join her vast network of spies and informants to keep her operation one step ahead of the law. She creates a mafia-style monopoly of violence. It's brutal, but runs like clockwork. And despite China's best efforts, no one seems to be able to stop it. Of course, the Confederation has strength in numbers, but its real power lies in the strategy directed by Ching Shi. That's where success comes from on the high seas, despite logistics, despite the lack of formal military experience. It's a reminder, once again, that Ching Shi sees opportunity where others only see problems. She learns from her enemies, listens to her crew, and constantly reassesses her situation to come up with the most effective way to succeed. And it's costing the Chinese empire everything. There are accounts of admirals being sent to take on Ching Shi's armada, only to deliberately sabotage their own ships just so they won't have to face her. Her very reputation instills fear and immediate surrender. So while the emperor attempts to rally support from other provinces, no one seems keen to do battle with Ching Shi. In 1808, the general of Zhejiang province is dispatched by the emperor to deal with the pirate nuisance armed with 135 ships. Naturally, it doesn't work. The general is killed in battle, and within six months, 63 of those imperial ships are at the bottom of the sea. But something's changed, and Ching Shi sees the writing on the wall. The sleeping giant is awake, and if she's going to continue her monolithic power over the South China Sea, she's going to have to pull out all the stops. Ching Shi preemptively attacks garrisons on land, unleashing a barrage of cannon fire from her larger, long-range ships, while smaller boats reach the beach unnoticed. Huge landing parties on board hit the sand to finish off any opposition in close quarters. 
And while Ching Shi doesn't participate in the fighting herself, there are accounts of many pirate wives fighting right alongside their husbands. It's a testament to the kind of loyalty that Ching Shi instills in her people, even those who were once captives. By 1809, the power of the Chinese Navy has dwindled to nearly half its former glory. Standing at the bow of her ship, Ching Shi watches the Emperor's armada burn. While she doesn't delight in pain and suffering, part of her relishes the moment. Let it burn. Let it all burn. That rigid, antiquated society. The one that trapped her family in poverty with only impossible decisions to make. The government system whose corruption and apathy forced her into the unthinkable in an aquatic brothel. She's happy to watch it burn because she's the one who started the fire. With the Chinese Navy at bay, Ching Shi looks to spread her empire. Call it hunger, call it greed. Ching Shi wants more. She wants to take her business international. Unfortunately, that decision sparks a flame she did not intend. The beginning of the end. An end to Ching Shi and her pirate career. By 1809, the South China Sea hosts military and merchant ships from around the world. America, Great Britain, Portugal, the Dutch East India Trading Company. And despite the reputation of these navies, the British in particular, Ching Shi and her pirate confederation have no problem attacking their vessels too, and doing it successfully. Now, attacks against these foreign ships have been occurring sporadically since the days of Ching Shi's marriage to Cheng Yi. But for the most part, they were considered a nuisance. These foreign nations had regularly offered their help to combat piracy in the region, but the Chinese emperor had always refused. That prideful decision to go it alone ends here. In September of 1809, the Chinese empire negotiates an alliance with Portugal and the Dutch East India Company to supply ships to help take out Ching Shi. Soon, American and British vessels join the fight against piracy. Just like that, it's Ching Shi versus the world, just like it's felt all along. Only this time, she can't pick off each force one by one. They've united too, and she needs another solution besides cannonballs and gunpowder. On December 26th, 1809, Ching Shi and Cheng Bao draft a letter to the commander of the Portuguese fleet stationed in Macau. The ask? 304 of their ships, along with the offer to let them switch sides and join the Pirate Confederation in toppling the Chinese Empire. They are so close to victory, Bao's letter contends. And it would be a fine gift to this commander to bring two or three Chinese provinces back to his king in Portugal in exchange for their support, of course. The Portuguese decline the offer. For the first time in her career as a pirate, it's Ching Shi who's forced to run. And by 1810, the pressure of her confederation is starting to show. But it isn't their international coalition of enemies that's the real threat. It's the dissent fomenting within her own ranks. So Ching Shi has a choice. She can continue this unwinnable war, fighting against half the world. Or she can get out through the only other available avenue. She can go legit. February 21st, 1810. We're back where we started. Ching Shi, now 35, and Cheng Bao, meet with Miguel José de Ariaga, the magistrate of Portuguese-occupied Macau, and Bai Ling, the government official charged by the Qing dynasty to secure Qing Shi's surrender. Surrender. That's a new one for Qing Shi, and it doesn't sit well. 
the idea of her crew, who had been loyal to her for nearly a decade at this point, walking in chains, stripped of their wealth, never one to settle for what must be, and knowing exactly who she is, Ching Shi surprises the Chinese Empire by offering a negotiation instead of surrender. It's a bold move, but she's confident. Negotiation, after all, is what originally allowed her 50% of her late husband's profit. If it worked then, it could work here against powerful enemies who know how powerful she is too. How much more are they willing to spend on this war? How much more are they really willing to lose when she's offering them a way out right now? Will they get hung up on a little thing like justice? After months of back and forth, in April 1810, Ching Shi's Hail Mary gamble pays off. In exchange for Ching Shi's retirement from piracy and the dismantling of most of her fleet and weapons, she secures a full pardon for herself, for Changbo, and every pirate under her employ. She even manages to regain control of 80 of her ships and 5,000 sailors and 40 extra ships for her and Bao to use in the salt trade. Even more, Ching Shi receives a civilian government title, while Changbo and other higher-level pirate leaders are all given commissioned military titles, a far cry from the death and prison sentence they likely faced without Ching Shi's negotiation skills. In the wake of surrender, Ching Shi officially marries Changbo on land this time, under the auspices of the Chinese government, giving her the status of a high-ranking military wife. In 1822, Bao passes away, and the twice-widowed Ching Shi settles down in Canton, near where she grew up, running gambling and sex work businesses in relative peace and comfort. Of course, no one can forget the success she had as a pirate. And in 1839, during the Opium Wars, she's consulted by the Chinese government on matters of naval strategy. It seems that even her sworn enemies cannot deny her skill. In 1844, Ching Shi passes away peacefully in her sleep at the age of 69. So what do we take from this story of Ching Shi, the pirate queen? Of course, if we choose to, we can see through a very binary black and white lens. Ching Shi was a crime boss a violent pirate who stole and murdered and waged war in the name of greed and power. And those things are not untrue. But the truth is rarely that simple. Ching Shi made bad choices. But many times, she only had bad choices to be made. She was a woman born into circumstances that tried to dictate what kind of life she was allowed to live. Born into a world that tried to put her in a cage. If there's an original sin in this story... It's merely Ching Shi's desire to write her own ending. It's easy to say that this was all for the money and the power, but the choices she made in her life suggest something more, something that we can all understand. She wanted more, yeah. Deep down, what she wanted was what we all want, freedom. So what did she do? Through her genius and brilliance, she made her own society, a floating society built on democracy, egalitarianism, meritocracy, capitalism. Ching Shi was a violent outlaw, but she also happened to be a revolutionary. So next time you watch Pirates of the Caribbean, think of Ching Shi, because she really was one mean pirate queen. Scoundrel, History's Forgotten Villains is executive produced by Jason and Carissa Weiser and Colin Thompson. Today's episode was written by Jeremy Novick. It's produced by DJ Lubell. 
edited and sound designed by Anton Doty and Alex Gonzalez, and mixed and mastered by Matt Sewell. Scoundrel, History's Forgotten Villains is a cast original podcast. Hey everyone, Jason and Carissa here. If you're enjoying Scoundrel, History's Forgotten Villains, we would really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review. Also, we'd love your feedback. Go to castmedia.com slash scoundrelfeedback and answer our survey. Thanks. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.